morning. A couple weeks ago, I offered a couple of resources for you. Uh, did anybody read through them, read through one of them, and have anything they wanted to to say? Maybe that you found it helpful, or maybe you disagreed with. The one is the the book on how to hear well, how to listen to sermons, and the other one is on um, extended memorization of Scripture. Anyone? Okay, well, that's actually one of the purposes why I said that, because I wanted to see if anyone had a little commercial advertisement for it so that we could offer it to other people since there are a few left. All right, well, maybe you haven't read it yet, but... Part of taking it was you were agreeing to read it, so please do that, and then uh, maybe I'll give you another opportunity to say something down the road. Time limit? Yeah, before you die. So, please. Please read it before you die. Memorization? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense, uh, but, but helpful. Helpful just to get some thoughts on how we can be better at hiding God's Word in our heart. Remember that the point of that, Psalm 119.11, is so that we will not sin against God, so that we actually uh, can improve our relationship with God. All right, well, let me begin with prayer, and then we'll start on today's uh, lesson. Father, we confess to you that we have... Um, we, we are nothing apart from Jesus Christ, and we also confess that that even as Christians we stray from you and we we uh, turn from you and our hearts are are drawn away by various lusts. We are enticed by by these things, and we um, we we turn away from you at times. And so we ask for you to draw us back to yourself. Forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to to come to you in genuine repentance, wanting to change, and uh, wanting you to, to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray that you would uh, strengthen us to, to do that and also to be able to reflect, reflect properly on the topic that we have this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have a lot of passages that um, I would like for you to look up uh, throughout this morning. So if you don't mind reading out loud for the rest of the class. I'll call on several of you. And basically, the, the verses that we're going to be looking up are all on your handout, so um, I'll, I'll draw your attention to them. Let's start with Hebrews 3.1. We'll all turn there. Hebrews 3.1. I just want to say a couple things about confession um, so we have a, a understanding of where we're going today. There are a couple different meanings of the word confession in the scriptures. Um, and the first one is found in Hebrews 3.1, and it's simply a confession of our faith. It's a confession that Jesus is Lord. Um, this would be um, basically declaring our faith or adherence to, to God and to His Word. So Hebrews 3.1 reads this way, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So there's the first idea of confession in the scriptures. We also see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, where it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you're making a public 
claim affirmation that that Jesus is Lord. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit here today. But but the other idea um, is found in First John one nine, which we all know that and that is if we confess our sins. He, God, is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's the second idea here, to acknowledge one's guilt. To acknowledge one's guilt. The first place that it shows up is actually in Leviticus 5 when Moses is going through the laws and he's saying if you sin against someone else, you need to go to them and you need to confess your sin to them and make restitution. So if you stole one of their animals or killed one of their animals, you need to make restitution for that. So, when we confess our sins, God promises to forgive us and to purify us from our unrighteousness. And um, so that's the second type of uh, confession. That's the one we're going to focus on this morning, to acknowledge one's guilt. And we'll talk about various ways. I'm talking about it right now and acknowledging our guilt before God. But the Leviticus passage is actually acknowledging our guilt before another person. And we're going to talk about uh, what that looks like in our in our age. We also need to recognize that Christ... Uh, well, let me give you your next line there. Confession results in forgiveness. That's First John 1, nine. Confession results in forgiveness. And then next, Christ is the basis of God's forgiveness. Would someone read Matthew 26.28? Raise your hand so I know you're looking it up. Ken. And then Romans 10.9, Paul. Forgiveness is offered to us by God on the sole ground of Christ's work, His perfect life and His satisfactory death. So, so what? on what basis does God forgive us? Ken? Alright, so in that passage we see that forgiveness of sins comes on the basis of Christ's blood. Romans 10.9 So, we have these two ideas of confession here. One is to declare one's faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And the second is to acknowledge our guilt. And really, they're linked. They're linked through uh, Christ and His blood and what His blood does for us. So, confession, we need to recognize there's two meanings for it. It results in forgiveness. And its basis is is, uh, God's forgiveness or Christ's blood. And then number five, or number four for introductory point, confession must be accompanied by repentance. Would someone look up Ezra 10.11? Ezra 10.11. Bill? And then someone else look up Acts 3.19. Mike? Ezra here makes a a confession that is accompanied by repentance. And notice the language or the wording that he uses as as he does this. Ezra 10.11. No problem. <clears throat> All right, while he's doing that, can I have a couple other volunteers for some ones we're going to look up down the road here? Jennifer, Psalm 51, 4. Someone else? Trit 51. Did I write that wrong on the. Sorry, it should be 51, 4. 
Trish, Romans 14, 12. Retta, Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. So Romans 14, 12. Hebrews 4, 11 to 13. And then one more. Jonathan. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Okay, so Ezra 10, 11. Here's what we want to think about. The confession ought to be accompanied by repentance. Still need some time? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm. So before, a couple before Job there. Uh, Mike, you want to read Acts 3.19 for us? Okay, so repent and be converted and then um, receive this forgiveness. Your your sins will be blotted out, Acts 3.19. Confession is not genuine unless it's accompanied by a determination to live differently. So it's not enough just to say, you know, I, I confess my sins, but it actually has to be accompanied by repentance. How's that? Ezra... Uh, Ten eleven. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do this pleasure and separate yourself from the people that blame you from the strange wife. Okay, so confess before God and do his pleasure. Or other translations read, do his will. So the so the idea of confession and a determination to do what's right, what God wants you to do, is necessary in order for confession to, to take place. So those are some prelimi- preliminary ideas there that we um, that we see. Now we want to answer the question, to whom do we confess and, and what should we confess? Okay, number one. We ought to confess our sins to God, and, and this should be all of our sins. We ought to confess all of our sins to God. Psalm 51, 4. Anyone know what's going on in Psalm 51? David's repenting for what? Okay, so David sins against Bathsheba. And he, did he sin against anybody else? He sins against God. Did he sin against... Uriah? Anybody else? Maybe the nation? You know, the nation of Israel? Um, certainly against, the, was it Joab, his his military leader? By, you know, basically putting him in a position where he had to uh, kill Uriah. Well, he didn't have to, but he chose to. Um, but, but David sins against all of these people, most notably Bathsheba and Uriah. And what does it say there again? What's the beginning of the verse? Here's David to God against you and you only. Could you imagine what Bathsheba and Uriah might think if they had heard him pray that? What do you mean you just sinned against God? And yet the point is, is every time we sin, God is always the most offended party. And that every sin is ultimately a sin against God. And so when it comes to confession, we ought to to confess our sins every one of our sins to God. And this comes from a biblical understanding of sin. When the Bible speaks of sin, it does not mean just wrongdoing in in abstract terms. No, sin is always against a perfectly holy God. 
Romans 3 calls it falling short of God's glory. That sin is self-worship. It's, it's treachery, rebellion against God. It's dethroning of the sovereign God, putting ourselves in His place. And um, so, so we need to be honest with God about our sins as David was when he was uh, confronted with his sins by Nathan. He came to God and he rightly repented to God for what he had done. When we read in Genesis 3, um, the account of Adam and Eve's sins, we, we recognize how silly it is for them to hide from God. I mean, how, how crazy of them that they would think that they could possibly hide from God after they had sinned. But, but don't we also make the same pathetic attempts to conceal our sins as if our sins are not against God or as if, if we can conceal them from Him? Hiding beside, uh, behind some, some image of ourselves that we have created as if God doesn't know or, or, or we don't want to address it with Him. See, God knows what's going on and we always must be confessing our sins to God. Not only does God know us as we are right now, but one day we're going to be made known as we are. And so, while we may attempt to cover our sins in this life, um, any hypocrisy that we have will be exposed. Would someone read uh, whoever found Romans 14, 12? Okay, so I think that's referring to the uh, the judgment seat of Christ after believers are raptured, uh, there will be a judgment seat of Christ where Jesus will lay out all of our deeds, good and evil, before God, or, or before everyone, basically, and we're going to be exposed for who we really are. Obviously, we're going to be standing on the righteousness of Christ, and so this isn't going to determine whether we make it to heaven or not. We've already made it. Um, Christ has already some, said, well done. Now we have all of our deeds, good and evil, and some of those will be burned up and be worthless, like wood, hay, and stubble. Others will be kept, like gold, silver, and precious stones. So I think that's what that's referring to there in the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. All right, all things are open and laid bare before God. He knows exactly what is going on. When was the last time you were able to read without glasses, Retta? 16? Yeah, great. Yes. All right, First Samuel 16, 7. All right, so each of us will give an account of himself before God. God sees it all. Everything is laid bare before God, um, and and God looks on uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So we we can't hide our sins from God, and 
a proper relationship as a believer recognize uh, is is that uh, we are confessing our sins before God. All right, so confess all of your sins to God, and then secondly, uh, to another, the, to the person to whom you have sinned, against whom you have sinned. The Bible places great importance on maintaining right relationships with our fellow men, believers or unbelievers, against whom we have sinned. And so, our right relationship with God is impossible apart from a right relationship with other people. Um, That is, that we need to be, even in the Lord's Prayer that we looked at last week, you know, forgive us our trespasses even as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. There is an idea of reconciliation that's necessary in order for us to have a right relationship with God. Now, in that case, it's them sinning against us. But turn to Matthew 5 and we'll see a passage that I've um, pointed out before in this class, but would be helpful for us to see again Matthew 5. Verse 23 reads, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. That is, being reconciled to other believers is so important that that it would be necessary for us to leave the very worship of God. Why would that be? Why why would it be important enough for us to leave the very worship of God? What does worship kind of assume? Right, First John speaks of that very clearly. What does worship assume? What does it require? It requires, right? God doesn't want the sacrifice. What does He want? He wants a broken and contrite heart. He wants your heart. So if our heart's not in worship because we haven't been reconciled with our brother, we're unwilling to forgive them, we're unwilling to seek forgiveness, then our worship is really false worship or worthless worship. And so confessing our sins against others, reconciling ourselves to other believers is is required by scriptures, by by the scriptures, and so this includes our um, Christian brothers and sisters certainly, but but not limited just to them. We I think have the same obligation to others that if we're that we need to be willing to forgive them as well. We need to confess our sins to God. We need to confess our sins to those against whom we have sinned. Number three, we need to confess to the church when necessary. We need to confess to the church when necessary. Now, there are a couple of ways that we do this. Remember, we had two definitions of confession. What was the first one? Okay, acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord, a confession, a public confession. We do this at baptism, by the way. Um, this is a public confession of our faith. But But there's also a second way in which we confess, and that is to acknowledge our sins. And so the same thing ought to be... Uh, true with regard to when uh, confessing our sins to the church. First, it is this public confession of our sin. And so this is actually the second one that we looked at, but a public confession of our sin. We can do this through 
through just the, the, the public prayers that are being offered or when we're here on Wednesday night praying together in smaller groups, we can, we can acknowledge our own sin in that kind of prayer while someone else is praying generally uh, for confession of sin. So, for example, when I pray to begin this class uh, and ask God to forgive us for those sins that we have failed, then, then you also ought to have been confessing your sin. Um, I, I don't come up here and publicly confess specific sins that we we have done, but but as we as we publicly confess, uh, as someone prays in that way, we ought to to um, to be agreeing with that and um, acknowledging our guilt before God in a public sort of way. The second way is actually the first definition that we looked at, and that is to confess our our sins to the church when we're baptized. So in Mark chapter 1, you're in Matthew, so it probably wouldn't be bad for us to turn there to Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. We first see a confession associated with baptism here in the work of John the Baptist. It says there in verse 4 that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan. Notice, confessing their sins. Not talking about acknowledging their guilt necessarily, but making a public confession that Jesus Christ is Savior. Okay, so there's the two ideas. An acknowledgement of our guilt, kind of in a corporate setting when someone prays, and then making a public confession of who Christ is through our baptism. And certainly it's not limited to that as believers. We can often do that. Many of you did that last week and just giving testimonies about God's grace. It's just a public confession that Jesus Christ is Lord in your life. But the third way we want to talk about is is to confess your offense to the church when you are disciplined. So turn to 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 8. 2 Corinthians 2. So what we've been speaking about so far is really the confession of secret, sins and private sins against God and also private sins against fellow men. But um, but this third type is a public confession to our church. And I'm speaking specifically of personally confessing to the church in conjunction with church discipline. In other words, okay, if you sinned this week and you have been repentant of that sin, it's not your responsibility to come before me or become to come before the church. I occasionally will have people come up to me and tell me some of their sins, and and in some cases they're looking for um, they're looking for help, and that's not a problem. But other times I get the sense that they're just trying to get something off their chest, like I need to confess this to somebody, and that's not what I'm calling for here. I don't think that's what the scriptures are calling for. Uh, I I often say in a little bit kinder way, I'm not your priest. Okay. Uh, we are individual priests before God. We have individual access to God through God, through Jesus, the Son of God. So um, so you don't have to come to a person to somehow be made right with God. You can be made right with God to God. Now, obviously, if you sinned against a person, here's where it comes in. To the degree of people that you've sinned against, that's the degree of the confession that needs to be made. So if I've sinned against my wife, I don't need to come 
to all of you and confess my sin against my wife. Uh, if I've sinned against my wife in a public way, like maybe I have um, demeaned her, or if I've sinned against her, maybe committed some immoral act, then that would be required that I would have, because that's a public, that's something that would be public knowledge, and I would be required to, to confess that publicly. So that to, to the degree that I've sinned against a person, that's the degree I need to confess. If it's just one person, go and confess my sin to that person, ask for forgiveness. If I've sinned against multiple people, um, then I need to confess it to them if I've sinned against the church. And here's where uh, church discipline comes into play. It's, it's going to be uh, obvious when, it, when it's necessary to, uh, to, to, to confess your sin before the church. You don't just come up and say, you know, I, I really need to get this off my, my chest. I've been having bad thoughts about some of the people here in this church. And that's, not, that's the thing that you've sinned against God. You've actually not sinned against that other person because they don't even know you're having those bad thoughts about them. Okay, so, so obviously get that right before God. Start living properly. Stop having those kinds of thoughts and start having proper thoughts and, and, um, and, and serving these people. But, but ultimately, um, we confess the sins, uh, our sins to the church when we have sinned in a public way or when we have been disciplined by the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through 8. If anyone has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much, to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which is inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. So apparently this is um, a believer who has committed a public sort of sin against the church and or, or against God in a public way, and he's come and he's wanted repentance. And so Paul's saying, listen, it, the punishment is, is over. The majority, the, the action that's been done by the majority, which I take as church discipline, they've actually started into the process of church discipline. That's effective now. That's what verse 6 is talking about. That's that's already sufficient. So now your responsibility as a church is, if he's confessed and repented of this sin, is to forgive him and comfort him. Don't be let him get into a position where he's overwhelmed by sorrow as if God's not willing to forgive him. In other words, you in in a way are are um God's God's hands, God's arms. You know, when you give uh uh, a hug or show comfort to this person you're showing that, that God also is is accepting them and um and and uh forgiving them. So we ought to be uh representatives of God in that way by by responding in love and and in comfort. And while this kind of confession to the church may be painful, it will bring blessing. It does bring blessing to the church and to the offender. Uh, ultimately, it brings glory to a gracious and compassionate God because the church takes sin seriously and and the offender appropriately handles it and and the church does as well and so um, so i I think that's the extent of our public confession of our sin at least in a in a corporate way so i'm going to see if you have questions here, but let me get to the next one here, and that is to another Christian for accountability. 
So James 5.16, perhaps you're familiar with that one. That That's one that's used often when, when we talk about confession. But it says, confess your sins to one another. Here, I think it's speaking of someone with whom you would have a relationship with in which you could express some of the things that are going on in your life and then be able to use them as accountability. Um, John Calvin, this is a paraphrase of what he said. He says, If in your desire to please God you think confessing to someone else would be helpful, then do so. Okay, so if, if you're trying to have a right relationship with God and it would be helpful for you to confess your sins to someone else to make sure that you're being accountable, then, then do that. And this could be a powerful tool, tool for overcoming uh, repeated and stubborn sins. And I actually recommend this for those who have been in um, uh, some of these addictive type sins, some that have been going, the pattern type sins that have been going on for a while, and now you're turning from them finally. And I recommend that there is an accountability relationship there because sometimes we can get to a place where we we kind of muffle the sound of God's voice. The, the Word of God doesn't have as much of a grip. And, and so, um, if your fear of God fails to keep you from your habitual sin, then maybe add the fear of your friends. And that shouldn't be the ultimate thing that you're, you're driven by, is whether or not your friends are going to be you know, um, disgusted with you or frustrated with you. That shouldn't be ultimate. But, but if you need that at the beginning, as you're starting to turn from that, do that. Seriously, that is... Very helpful. And I think that's what James has in mind. Confess your sins to one another in that way. Have, a, have an accountability relationship. This type of relationship is not easy um, because we don't want to think about our sins in that way. We don't want to be humbled by someone else seeing us as we really are. Um, but, but it's very beneficial, especially when we're, uh, our feet are, are in the miry clay. We need to be brought up onto the, the solid ground. Um, and, and I think any Christian here would be happy to engage in that type of, of relationship with you uh, because they're on the same path as you. They, they want to see God glorified in their life. They want to see this sin eradicated from their life. And so they recognize that, that you know, no one of us is superior to the other as far as our standing before God. And so we're happy to say, listen, we're... We're in this battle together. We get wounded and we need some help standing up and, 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 and to keep fighting. And so it would be good to link arms with somebody with whom you trust. And uh, so a few words of advice regarding confessing to other believers. First, um, most of our daily non-habitual sins can be ha- handled adequately with private confession to God. So don't get into a relationship in order to just kind of vent, as the psychological world would say. You know, just to, just to get this off of your chest type idea. Don't get into that kind of relationship to just to commiserate uh, with other people so that they kind of feel your, your weight. You know, Galatians 6, in fact, turn there, Galatians 6, a couple books toward the back of your Bible. Um, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 talk about bearing your own burdens. Um, actually, verse verse 5 reads, for each one will bear his own load. I think there's a responsibility for each of us to take care of our own, uh, th- there's, to take care of our own weight, 
don't keep passing all of our stuff on to other people. So there's a sense in which we don't need to just keep dumping stuff on other people. Um, but there's also a sense in which we need to to um, to carry the load of others. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So when I preached through this, I said there's two things that we should do is we should carry our own load and help carry the load of others. And as we're doing that as a group, then we'll kind of shore up all of the the uh, the people who are just kind of out there and, and not getting uh, recognized or got, not getting cared for. So most of your daily non-habitual sins can be handled in private confession to God. So don't get into relationships in order to, to kind of dump off all your problems onto someone else. Handle the problems that you can. Uh, secondly, beware of confessing something that releases you but hurts someone else in the process. Okay, so maybe it's kind of a veiled confession in order to bring up some problems with someone else. Okay, be be very careful about that. And then third, pick someone who, uh, who whom you would trust. And we'll talk about this more later when we talk about um, kind of choosing accountability partners. All right. I've said a lot so far. Do you have any questions or comments? Greg. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you have done that before? Okay, lot, lots of you. Um, I haven't, but um seen it on TV, so I know it's real. Everything on TV is real, right? Yeah. All right. Are you confessing that now or? Okay. The wisdom of confessing sin. Next. The wis- the wisdom of confessing sin. Number one, y- uh, confession yields forgiveness and reconciliation. But someone read. Um, let me just have some more people volunteer to read. This is one of my favorite uh, passages here in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul, Micah seven eighteen and nineteen. Is that you, Mark? Mark, tw- uh, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. And then someone else, Ken. Psalm thirty two three through five. Okay, so as we saw in First John one nine, we need to uncover our sins so that God will forgive them. Confess our. Um, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Micah seven eighteen and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious land of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will lead our iniquities underfoot. He will cut our iniquities underfoot. Yes, he will cast all those things into the depths of the sea. All right. Aren't you thankful that we have a God like that. He doesn't remember our sins forever. He's quick to love us, slow to anger. That's the God that that we serve. And why would we not want to confess our sins to a God who lovingly wants to forgive us? All right. Confession also, secondly, uh, enables us to prosper. Proverbs 28, 13. How many of us experience adverse consequences 
in our lives, uh, primarily I would say spiritually, because we fail or refuse to confess our sins. We're like, you know, um, Adam and Eve in the garden who don't want to acknowledge our sin. We're like David the first year after he sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba. They didn't want to acknowledge his sin. And um, and what Proverbs says is those who confess their sins will prosper. And I think that's primarily, uh, that's I don't think that's something we hold on to, like financial prosperity type thing. I think that's spiritually. Psalm 32, uh, oh, Ken, Psalm 32, 3 through 5. When he hid his sins, he, his body was wasting away. It was just kind of sense the agony that there was in not acknowledging our sin. I'm not sure if you've been there or not, but um, I know I have. In times when just ignore my sin, I need to just come and, and confess it before God and acknowledge it and accept the forgiveness that He promises. And that's really the the there's two promises in Psalm or in First John one nine that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. And He will cleanse us. And we need to accept those two things, that we have confessed to God. Now, uh, we expect that you will do these other two things. Uh, confession can overcome relational barriers. Um, Proverbs 15.1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. You want you have some relationships in your life with anger and resentment. Well, if you've sinned in those relationships, then it will be helpful for you to confess. Now, some resentment and anger that, that there is, other people against you may be a result of something that you've done that is good. But if you've contributed to the anger and resentment, then it will actually overcome some of the relational barriers. And for, you know, if you've had family um, rifts or schisms, then you know what this is like. You know that it would be helpful just to acknowledge the sin that's been committed and to, to move on. Next, confession can commend the gospel. Uh, it is unusual for people to acknowledge their sin, to, to humbly acknowledge that they've sinned against another person or against God. And so this can be a powerful testimony to the, our life of, the life of Christ within us. Confessing sin to others can overcome the fear of rejection. You know, maybe you don't confess your sins to others. You don't uh, you are not reconciled to other people because you're fear you're fearful of their rejection of you. Like if they know what you've done, if they if you come and say it to them and acknowledge it, you know maybe they'll, they they'll miss it somehow. Um, then, then you can kind of get away f- from it. But but actually acknowledging it before others can help you overcome your fear of rejection. They they too struggle with sin. Maybe a different kind than you, maybe the same kind as you. But the the point is, is other people, uh, believers, are going to recognize this and happily be willing to forgive. Confession can help overcome sin. Um, hiding our sin prevents other Christians from caring for us. You know, if we we kind of carry around this air of perfection, or um, 
you know, kind of uh, want to try to give the impression that there, we, we don't struggle at all, then, then um, we actually do harm, I think, to our own spiritual life. We probably actually feed the fuel of our own pride. And so it's helpful to just uh, confess our sins to the people against whom we've sinned or perhaps to an accountability partner. Signs of true confession. Uh, I'm just going to go through these quickly uh, for sake of time. And I think some of these are pretty obvious. True confession is accompanied by repentance. I think I mentioned this earlier, but um, confession should be willing to do God's will. Remember the Ezra 10:11 passage, it was, you know, we confess our sins to you and acknowledge to do your pleasure, to do your will. True confession is specific. Leviticus 5 is where I um, alluded to when we first started that the offender does not necessarily have to give every detail but must be specific enough to to clarify the nature of of the sin against the other person. Three, true confession includes motives. Uh, what was the motive behind the sin? Was it a what's at the heart? You know, sometimes a surface level sin is actually uh, a result of something that's hidden down below the surface. And so, what is the root of the sin? Um, is it a, a a pride issue? Is it a jealousy issue? What is it? True confession is accompanied by godly sorrow. Second Corinthians seven ten. Um, it's not. It's more important to to be doing what is right than to be seen to be doing what is right. And so confession is an acknowledgement of reality. It's not living in a dream world as if um, you can just go around as if nothing's wrong and and you've never sinned. True confession is made in the light of the cross. Um, acknowledges that we are sinners and that we constantly are in need of Jesus to cleanse us. The the uh, imagery of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Peter said, "Don't don't do that." Jesus said, "If I don't, you will have no part with me." And Peter said, well, then wash all of me. And he says, no, I don't need to wash all of you. You've already been washed. You just need your feet cleansed. And I think I think there's a, there's a parallel there to our confession of sins that if we're not going to have our sins confessed, then we can have no part with, with Christ. And it's not that we need a, a brand new cleansing all over again, a full cleansing, a, a regeneration to happen again. We just need to be cleansed of, of the sins, have our feet washed, so to speak. Yeah, let's turn to uh, Romans 7. That's a good question. Romans 7. Oh, that's not the one I'm looking for. Maybe it is the 2 Corinthians 7 one. One second. Okay, yeah, turn to 2 Corinthians 7, 10. Romans 7 is where Paul says, you know, I don't do what I'm supposed to do and the thing that I want to do, I don't do and, and so on. He said, I know that there's sin living within me. And um, But here's here's the one that I, I passed over, but th- it would be good for us to look at this. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. For, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation but the sorrow of the world produces death. So there is a sorrow that people have that even unbelievers have. 
They have a sorrow, but it doesn't lead to genuine repentance. So, genuine sorrow, genuine confession of sin is going to lead to genuine repentance, which is a changing. It's not just a changing of action, but it's a changing of thought about that sin. It's stop doing what is wrong and start doing what is right. It's what Paul talks about when he says, put off and put on. It's not enough for us to just stop doing, you know, stop saying evil things. Stop... um, having unwholesome words come out of our mouth, but also speak the truth to one another in love. So it's a replacement sort of thing where we get put the old away and put on the new. Does that help? So it's a repentance. Uh, that's what repentance is. It's a turning from sin to God. It's a changing of our thoughts. It's, it's a um, submission of ourselves to, to God. All right. Um, confession is required on the back page should be ongoing should be immediate and should precede the Lord's Supper so 1 Corinthians 11 talks about examining yourself uh, before you eat of the Lord's table so, so that you do not um, that you do not um, I forget what the language is there but I was going to say degrade but kind of diminish the, the Lord's Supper diminish the the picture that's there so it's ongoing, meaning that you know we we shouldn't be going long periods of time thinking I haven't sinned. We should be constantly confessing when we pray to confessing our sins. When we pray to God, we ought to be confessing our sins. And ought to be immediate. The idea of that is when we sin against and we know about it, then we ought to go to that person, ask for forgiveness, go to God. You only have I, against you only have I sinned. All right, accountability. Let me just say a few things about this because I mentioned this earlier. You're looking for accountability partner. Several questions there on your handout. Uh, look for someone who, who loves the Word of God and carefully hand, handles it. Look for someone of the same gender so that you're not tempted to fall into sin unless, obviously, it's your spouse. Then that would be fine to have an accountability relationship with him or her. Um, look for someone who has a biblical view of sin and is neither shocked by it nor is unwilling to rebuke you when you need to be rebuked. Uh, I, 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 when I think of um, relationships, accountability relationships, I think of the three things that Paul mentions in First Timothy five. He says, you know, if they're if they're discouraged, then encourage them. If they're weak, then help them. If they're unruly, then warn them. Admonish the unruly. And I think we ought to have that kind of uh, grid when we're thinking about our relationships with other people. Is this something I need to encourage them? They've already turned from their sin and they're repenting. Uh, and I just need to encourage them. Is this something that they're not really wanting to repent from? They're just wanting to acknowledge it, but they don't want to repent of it. Well, I need to rebuke them. In that case, it would be helpful to have someone that's willing to do that. Um, listen carefully to that person. So when you enter into this kind of relationship, listen carefully to them and withhold your counsel until you understand the situation. And then find a person who respects your confidence and treat it as such. That doesn't mean that they never can say anything about your sin. In some cases, um, it is helpful when you're in that kind of position to talk to other people about it. And obviously, you've got to use discretion when to do that. But, but the kind of relationship that says, you know, you can't ever say this to anybody um, is not necessarily helpful because ultimately what's important is that the truth is is effective and that the that the person is turning 
that we both are turning, obviously, in, in these relationships. So, um, so find a person that's going to be helpful in those ways. All right, so maybe when we first you first uh, thought about the topic of confession, you were thinking of something else, but basically what we have in mind here is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We've all done that at baptism. Okay, we do that constantly when we sing of his praises and we open the word and acknowledge that he is, you know, the Lord of our church and so on. Um, but the second way is confessing our sins to God. That is acknowledging guilt before God and before others in these various relationships. All right, any quick questions or comments? Bill. Yes. Yes. Yeah, those two things are are couple. I mean, they are linked together. I mean, when you see repentance in the scripture, you also often see belief. Um uh, you see them connected together. That is, that when a person comes to Christ, it requires both. It requires a repentance of, a sin, of sin and belief that Jesus is Lord. Um, so, yeah, you can't do one without the other. If you're not acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, it's not genuine repentance. Um, Trish? Yeah. Yeah, and and if you think about repentance in terms of, I think it's First Thessalonians or maybe it's the end of Acts. It says it's a turning from sin to God. So if you're turning from sin, like Trisha is suggesting, if you're just turning from sin to what? More sin or just, yeah, or some sort of system that you set up, then that's not repentance that the Bible talks about. It's actually turning from sin to God. Yes. No treats in the morning when we come in. Yes. Next week is fasting week. All right. Ken. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and unbelievers have that, yeah. Yeah, it's actually the and Ezra ten eleven I think is a great verse just to put that in perspective. The confession of sin and wanting to do God's pleasure, wanting to do God's will. Those, I think those are uh, inseparably linked together. So excellent, thank you. All right, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you that you forgive sins and you do it on the basis of Jesus Christ and His finished work. Lord, thank you that we can acknowledge you and come to you with true and genuine worship. May you help us in our relationships to be acknowledging our sins, but ultimately um, to do it in our relationship with you, that we would be turning from our sins into righteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.